Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. And the people in the balcony as well. Hi. <laughs> They're wonderful. They all wave back. Well, as we continue with uh, our series, Living Forward, you remember last week, um, Chris reminded us about the good news of the gospel. Now, the interesting thing is that he, he had some audience participation, for those of you who are here, and he asked uh, people to explain the gospel to each other within three minutes. And it was very interesting because, you know, I was sitting next to Fliss and, uh, you know, we just basically said that, you know, Jesus Christ died for my sins so that I could go to heaven. Words to that effect. And then Chris asked, said to us now, listen to what Paul, the apostle, said when he was talking about, and he calls it, my gospel. Just by way of parenthesis, the first part, we all know that Jesus died for our sins. You know, five, no, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him to be sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, those theologians call that substitutionary atonement, the fact that Jesus died for us. Most of us know that. But Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 5, he says this, 15. Now, brothers and sisters, you know, I thought, <laughs> I have to just smile there because I think, now, brothers and sisters, I said, no, you're not James Brown. <laughs> uh, some of you will get that, some don't worry. <laughs> I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Here it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, which is what most of us know. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. As I was saying in the last service, if you are an Anglican, if you are a Roman Catholic, you, you say the Nicosian Creed every Sunday. Um, if you don't know what it is, don't worry. But it, 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 it emphasizes these key components of our faith. And that he appeared to Caiaphas and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, who was abnormally born. And here's the point. The gospel isn't just about, of course, Jesus dying on a cross. It's about the resurrection. The fact that Jesus broke the power of death. He conquered sin. He conquered Satan, and he conquered death. Now, the interesting thing is that the first century Christians, because of the persecution that they faced, this was a wonderful truth to them, that they didn't have to be afraid of death. Whatever horrors death held, Jesus had overcome them. In fact, we read in, Paul says in 1, 2 Timothy 4, 7, as he's facing it, he says, death. He says, I fought a good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So the power of the resurrection and the hope of the resurrection gave Paul the courage to face death without any worries. And thus, not only just Paul, but all those who were facing death, they had no worries about the fact that 
bro, you're going to kill me? Is that all you could do to me? That's how they felt. I was saying, I used to, when I was growing up, um, I used to watch um, the Thunderbirds. You know, remember that? (laughs) Thunderbirds. And Jerry Anderson made a number of series, you know, and one of them was Captain Scarlet. You remember that? Well, some of you do, some of you don't, some of you don't worry about it. But here's the point. The thing about Captain Scarlet, that he was, he was indestructible. He was indestructible. You could kill him, but the Mistrons, you know, remember the, this is the voice of the Mistrons. It used to frighten the life out of me. I used to hide under the bed. But the reality is that you couldn't kill Captain Scarlet. And here's the point. Because of the resurrection, you can take my life, but you can't take my soul because of the fact the resurrection life is in me and you can't kill me. I'm indestructible because that resurrection life is indestructible. If, they, if all they can do to you is kill you, hmm, big problem. It's not a problem. Yeah, you kill me. Get on with it. I'm going to heaven straight away. I always remember, <laughs> I always remember when we were talking about baptism. Uh, I think it was a guy called Bob Mumford said that, you know, with some Christians, what you want to do, because we're talking about, first, when you go into the waters, we're talking about death and burial and then resurrection. For some people, what you should do is just baptize them and hold them down so they can go straight to heaven. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not going to do that today. <laughs> However, I don't know how I got onto that. But anyway, the fact is this, that this resurrection life is what we want to talk about. Because it's so easy to just emphasize the cross, which is essential, and forget that we have this eternal hope that one day we will see him face to face and we'll be able to explore the universe with our, in our resurrection life. I always get, I was thinking about it, you know, I think I must have been watching Star Trek and, you know, to boldly go where no one has gone before, to go to new frontiers. Well, you know that when you've got eternal life, once we've done with the sin stuff, then we'll be able to go where boldly where no one has gone before because of that life and explore this wonderful universe. Now, let me bring you to the text that we're going to deal with today. And if you want a title, we're going to call this Changed for Life. The fact that there's a change for life that's going to take place. So come with me to Ephesians chapter 2. and We're going to read it 1 to 10. It'll be up on the screen. Obviously, if you're listening on the iPod, you can't see it, but you can hear it. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's Satan. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of death. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works 
so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, what was our condition? Well, we were dead in transgression and sin, not living as God intended. And what we need to understand that, you know, when we're talking about sin, it's not living to God's best in our lives. And Paul goes on to say in Romans, actually, chapter 1, verse 18, he says, look, ungodliness always leads to unrighteousness. What do you mean by that then? then? Well, if you leave God out of your life and organize it, then you don't worry about the consequences, do you? So you, you're ungodly, so you live an ungodly life because you're not worried about what the consequences will be. So the situation is that we're dead in that. But we follow the lust of the flesh, the lust of our eyes, and the boastful pride of life, 1 John 2, 16. We were driven by these things. You know, really, the, the issue is, of course, that we need affirmation, so we're trying to get it from these things. We were living under the influence of the ruler of the kingdom of darkness. Lisa Guinness, Lisa Guinness puts it like this. Satan, who's, who is the ruler of the darkness, who robs God of his glory by what? Robbing us of ours. And we were destined for destruction. And Chris and I were talking about this. You know, the, the dummies that they use, they crash dummies. Those dummies are destined for destruction. Well, we were, those dummies are quite expensive, as we are in one sense. But they're destined to be destroyed. And we were destined to be destroyed. As the scripture puts it, we were under God's wrath. This is not comfortable stuff, but I'm not going to develop it this morning because I did it in another sermon somewhere else. But that's our condition. Now, what was God's response to our conditions? Read me, me Ephesians 2, 4 to 7. But because of his great love for us, I love that. You know, while you and I were running for God, God's love drove him to do this. God, who is rich in mercy. And let me tell you, don't let, any, let anybody tell you otherwise. God is rich in mercy. Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. So even when we were away from God, far from God, running from God, rebelling from God, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. And it's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. In Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God, driven by love and mercy, made us alive, and here it is, using the same power that raised Jesus from the bed, dead, making us alive with Christ. Ephesians 1, 19, 20 tells us that that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, it's the same power that he's using to make us alive with Christ. Yep. 
And look, this is what he says, Ephesians 19.20. And Paul is praying for us to get this revelation. This is what he says. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know what? The hope which, for which he called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. And here's, here it comes. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Yeah? The resurrection is not something for us to just look forward to. And we should look forward to, that, to it. And of course, those of us who we are in 21st century Christianity, we are not fearing death in the same way the people in the first century or other parts of the world where it costs you your life to become a Christian are facing it. But you see this, the same power is available to us to live the life God always intended for us to live. By the power of his Holy Spirit, he's working in our lives and removing darkness that has been perpetrated by our enemy and it's, so it's undone and removed in the name of Jesus. And here it was, this is how it works. It's okay. You become a follower of Jesus. God in his sovereignty overshadows your life and the power of the most high comes upon you. And that which is birthed in you is from God. Luke chapter 1. All right? That's where it comes from. And then that resurrection life begins to work in you. First, there's conviction. Maybe God, and, and, and he convicts you of things. Or he challenges you about things. But he begins to change you. And by the power of his spirit, he begins to heal you. He begins to break the power of lies that you've lived under. He begins to show you why you react in that way. And by the power of that resurrection life, he changes you, he heals you, he makes you whole. Yeah? Amen. And as we live under that resurrection power, as we walk in the light, as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, as we work with him and he reveals to us the truth. And by the way, when it says in John, I think 16, 20, I think it's, yeah, 16, I think 26, that the Holy Spirit will reveal you, guide you into all truth, he's not talking to you just about the truth of the Bible. He's talking about the truth about what God sees you as. You see, that's the truth. The reality is that we spend a great deal of our time living out of what we were. What someone said, or the hurts that we have, or the wounds that we have in our lives. But God's plan is to heal you and make you whole so that you live out of who he sees you as. And he sees you as a son. He sees you as a daughter. He releases his resurrection power to you so you can begin to walk in the liberty and the freedom for which Christ has set you free. He's there to make you into what God intended you to be so that you can walk in the dignity and in the power and in the authority of a child of God who finds their identity not in their job, not in their title, but in who they are. They're born from above, not of the will of man or of blood, but they're born of God. They have divine, divine nature within them. They are 
day by day learning to tap into that and it's changing them from one degree of glory to another and as you change that brings glory to the father and it means that the enemy can't get can no longer take as it were authority over you because of the fact that you belong to the father my father is greater than all none can pluck you out of my hand and therefore you are changing from one degree of glory to another by that resurrection life that is working in and through you in the name of Jesus amen Bless God. So Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone. And when the person goes down into the pool, we're signifying that the old has gone. And as as the force of the water pushes them out, the new has come. There's newness of life. And by the way, that new has come. It doesn't mean that you're instantly made new. Yes, you are, but you are becoming new as the work of the Holy Spirit works in you as you go through the process of change, which we call sanctification. In fact, someone said to me, I remember it was a preacher, I think it was, never mind his name, will come to a minute. But he, he said that sometimes in olden days when people were baptized, Because of the presence of God and power of God, when people went into the water, the demons came straight out. The demons came straight out because of the power of what was going on. And by the way, in some cultures, until you are baptized, you're not considered as, as serious. In some cultures, the minute that you are baptized, particularly if you are changing religion effectively, I think in one religion, I think it's the Jewish one, they have a funeral service. If it's in, in Indian places like that, you can lose your home. Up until baptism, they, they think you're playing. Once you're baptized, that's the line in the sand. That's the line in the ground. So then, by grace, Paul tells us, we have been saved. Now, let me give you a spin on this grace. Now, most of us see it as the unmerited favor of God. But in this passage, it's saying here, This grace is the empowering presence of Jesus who is changing us so that we can be and do all that God has called us to be and do. So this grace is working in us. It's his presence, Jesus' presence, working in your life so that you can be and do all that God intended for you to be and do. That's why in Ephesians 2.10 it says that God has a good work Prepared, I like this, beforehand. He didn't, he didn't just think, oh, what am I going to do there with AJ? He has a plan for AJ. He has a plan for Jenna. It's, it's, he's not there thinking, oh, oh. No, it's prepared beforehand. And God's empowering presence in our lives equips and empowers us so that we can be and do what God has called us to be and do. So then, what is our New position because of God's love and mercy toward us. Ephesians 2, 6. And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in where? The heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Friends, if it wasn't enough for God contracted to a span, so the hymn writer says, incomprehensibly made a man to walk the earth as 
in the person of Jesus to die on a rugged cross for us, to take our pain and our shame on that cross and to cleanse and wash us from our sin and remove the decrees that were hostile to us and remove them out of the way. If that was enough and that's all God did, we'd be in a good place. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't leave us where we were. It says we, he now raises us up into the same place that Jesus is. Jesus, who it says in uh, Ephesians chapter 1 there, verse 20, 21, is raised up far above every name that is named, not only in this world, but that which is to come. And you know something? We're there with him too. We're there with him too. But you say, oh, I don't deserve it. But we know that. But that's not the point. You see, the Father doesn't leave you where you are. You know, but I don't deserve it if you don't know my life. And yes, he knows all about your life. He knows more about it than you do. But he, he cleanses you. He washes you. Then he changes your position and puts you in a place where his own son is. At his right hand. Having made purification for our sins once for all. But we're there too. So, we are seated with him in the heavenly planes, which means we have a new position. We have a new position. We're not people who are below. We're people who are above. We're not the head, not the tail. God has called us to be in that position where we're seated with him in Christ. Now, the choice is where do you want to live? You can live in a position where you are in the shadows. You can live in a position where you don't feel that you are worthy. You can live in a place where you are there, but you're, not, you're seen but not heard. But God's plan is to bring you and raise you up and put you next to the sun. Now, you know, there's some people say, oh, I really couldn't go there, you know, really. It's not really for me. You know, I, I, I'm a humble person, really, and I don't really want anybody to see me out there. And God's looking at you thinking, all the things that I've actually been through for you, and this is the way you respond to me? No. <laughs> that's, a, that's appearance. But you know what? God has done so much for us, and many of us, we disqualify ourselves. But God says, no, I sent my son for you. And I'm, not only have I cleansed you and washed you, but I lift you up and I seat you in the heavenly places with my son. We have a new identity. And now, you know, we have to, in our, the world that we live in, people tend to get their identity from the thing that they do or the things that they do. You know, I am a pastor, I'm a chaplain, I'm a training consultant, I'm a director, I'm a chief executive, I have a degree, I have a second degree, I have a third degree, I'm a doctor, blah, blah, blah. I'm a professor. And in our world, people look for that, for status. Now, I happen to be reading Philippians chapter three, Paul's autobiography. And Paul has all of that. He has the heritage, He's a Jew. He's in the tribe of Benjamin. He's trained under Gamaliel. He is a keeper of the law. And then he goes on to say this. You know what? It's all rubbish. It's all dung. And we don't use the kind of word that is actually in the scripture in church. Right? But you might say it when you catch your thumb on something. Right? It's rubbish. That's what he says. It's rubbish. 
Because he says this. He says in Philippians 3.10, he said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul says, that's what I want to know. All that stuff, all that confetti, all that rubbish, all that stuff that the world runs after, that's not important. I want to know Christ, and I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to know the fellowship of his suffering, I want to be conformed to his image. That's what Paul was about. So we have a new identity, and our identity is that I am a new creation, that I am a child of God. Yes, the things that you do, and by the way, parenthetical statement, it's, it's okay to study and, 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 do, and improve yourself and all of that. We're not saying that's not right. That's good. That's important. That's you actually maximizing the gifts and the things that God has given to you. And by the way, that's your responsibility, not the responsibility of your employer. <laughs> it's your responsibility. Anyway, we have this new identity. And people say, oh, and, and, and what do you do? I says, well... Well, who are, you know, who, you know, what are, you know, what do you do? I said, well, actually, I, I do this, but I'm a child of the living God. Excuse me? I've been born from above. I'm a partaker of the divine nature. His spirit lives within me. And every day, he's helping me to change from one degree of glory to another. And I'm experiencing the glory of his goodness. I'm experiencing his presence on a daily basis. And each day, I'm experiencing more of his redemptive power to rescue me from myself and the sins that I do and the sins that have been done to me and heal me out so I can walk in that identity every day. And as I walk in that identity, it doesn't matter what room I go into, I know who I am. I say, I know who I'm I'm becoming, that's better. And more importantly, I know that I'm wondrously and gloriously made, and I'm getting to know that well. That's the identity you live out. You see, I know people, they've lost their jobs, they have CEOs, this, that, and the other. And I remember St. Counseling, a guy said, your identity is not your job. Your power doesn't come from the job. It comes from the fact that you are a son of God and you've been born from above and that does not change whatever title you had or have not had. Amen. <laughs> we have a new authority. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, Matthew 28, 18. Now, go! What it means is this, you see, that many times you are praying for things in your life and Jesus says, Father saying, why are you praying to me? I give you the authority. Now do it. Sometimes we're putting up with stuff in our lives. You know, there's confusion. There's tension in the house. There's disharm- dis- disharmony in the house. There's discord instead of concord in the house, as I call it. Right? And we have authority in the name of Jesus to take authority in his name and bring the kingdom of God into that situation. You say, what do you mean? Well, the kingdom of God, there should be righteousness, joy, and peace. And if there's unrighteousness, discord, and disharmony, then you, as a child of God, a son and daughter born from above, you have authority to speak God's peace and God's presence and God's order into situations that have disorder. And have discord as a child of God. You see, the enemy's plan is to make sure that you never really wise up to the fact of who you really are. The enemy's plan is to make sure that you never wise up to who you really are 
in Christ. So you have a new authority. And finally, you have access to unlimited power in his name. Ephesians 3.20, this God is able to do exceeding abundantly above that which you ask or think according to his power that works mightily within us. There was a guy there called Anthony Robbins talked about unleashing the giant within. Well, that's all right. Look, friends, you, you have access to the almighty God's power in your life, and he wants to release it through you so that you can be a conduit of his power and his blessing to the community that you're in. And we have access to it. You know, we're going to do some challenging things next year. But the point is this. We have access to unlimited power. God is able to do a seeding abundantly above, above what we could ask or think. Because of the resurrection life that is working in us and through us. As we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth, John 16, 14, as we obey his promptings, as we learn to reject the lies that we've lived under or the ways of thinking that limits us. Friends, there's stuff. We've got stuff that's on us that limits us because of our thinking and our experience. We have lies that have been put on us that we believe are truth, and they're not. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to show you that those things are not true. And as we make confession before God and move out from under those lies and recognize that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, we, we can do that qualification just because you're dyslexic doesn't mean you can't. And we step out from under it and we step into God's grace as we begin to stop the type of thinking that causes us not to trust God in difficult situations. And as we learn to get healed up of that stuff so we can trust God and thus for trust each other we begin to gain ground and that resurrection power begins to strengthen to heal and to empower us to live in a way that brings glory to God as we live in the beauty and the power and the dignity and authority of those who are in Christ men and women who have been changed for life please would you stand can we have the band up? Friends, this is a great day for us as a church. We're going to baptize these wonderful people. And by the way, if you are still there wondering where you should be baptized, let me just give you the deal here. Baptism in the Greek means to fully immerse. It does not mean to sprinkle. It does not mean to confirm. It it, it means to fully immerse, baptizo. That's what the Greek is. Now, I, I, my own testimony is that my father was a Roman Catholic, so I was, I was sprinkled and baptized into the, the Holy, Mother of, Holy Catholic Church. And then I was an Anglican, so I was confirmed into the Anglican Church. And then I was a Baptist, so I was fully immersed. So I've, got, I've covered every base, baby. <laughs> right? But for some of you, it's not too late. If you know that you should be baptized because Jesus did it, that was good enough for me, then your opportunity is here this evening to do that. Should we pray now? Father, we want to thank you for this resurrection life that you have released to us through your son. We thank you that that same power 
that you used to raise him from the dead is available to us now as your people. And Father, as we allow your Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to show us the truth about what you see us as, as we allow your Spirit to heal us in those areas where we have been hurt, as we allow your Holy Spirit to break down those thought patterns that are destructive. We give you permission that you, Holy Spirit, will touch every aspect of our lives, that you will touch us in those areas where we need to know comfort. You will touch us in those areas where we need to know affirmation. You will touch us in those areas where we need to know healing. And Lord, you would work so that as we are changed from one degree of glory to another, our lives may resonate and bring glory and honor to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.